Open the Word of God this morning to John and its first chapter. The Gospel of John chapter 1. Thank you, Brother Stephen. Well done. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Newell. Thank you, men that prayed in the back room this morning. Let me read to you verses 43 through 51, the last verses of this chapter. At verse 43, the day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Amen and Amen. I hope that you are able to look at this first chapter of John and its 51 verses and see the simple five parts into which it is divided. The first 18 verses are a wonderful introduction to the Gospel of John and to the Gospel at large in general. The first 18 verses began with words that we know so well, in the beginning was the Word. And we came down to see that Those that received Jesus Christ were born of God without the flesh, without the will, without man, without blood. And we see the incarnate sonship of Jesus Christ taught in verses 14 and 18. It's a wonderful summary of the gospel and a wonderful summary, an introduction, a preamble, a prologue to the gospel of John. The first 18 verses. Then we have the first days of the gospel. Five days we're going to encounter. We have one next Sunday that's in chapter 2. But at verse 19, we have day number 1. Now from the vantage point of the gospel of John, we're going to call it the the first day of Christianity. You know, we could define the days of Christianity in all sorts of different ways. We could start them with the birth of Christ. We could start them with 
the first time John the Baptist preached, we could start them in front of the 40 days of temptation of our Lord. But since John, by the Holy Spirit, chose to start right here, we're going to start for the sake of understanding what he wanted us to know. John wrote differently. John wrote with more care and attention to detail than the other writers. We have a day-by-day history given to us of the opening of Jesus Christ as the Messiah presented to Israel by John the Baptist. But the first day is verses 19, and you may have a paragraph mark there in your Bible, or you may want to circle that verse number, and it runs down through verse 18. The first day is the Jews questioning John the Baptist, and he gives them a reference that there is someone else they ought to be looking for that is standing among them that they do not know. Then in verses 29 through 34, which is the third section of the chapter, but the second day, John publicly identifies Jesus as the Lamb of God. And we have that in verse 29, and he calls him the Son of God in verse 34. Day 3 takes up at verse 35 and runs through verse 42. Day 3, John identified Jesus again as the Lamb of God for the benefit of Andrew and Peter, who are converted that day. Now we come to day 4, which is verses 43 through 51. Jesus finds Philip, and he in turn finds Nathanael, and the two of them follow the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have, in the first few words, the most, the loftiest description of the Lord Jesus Christ in His divine nature from eternity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. I mean, those are lofty terms describing Jesus Christ, and we come down Instead of looking at eternity, we look at individual days. Day one, day two, day three, day four, connected by words like following and next. And we come down to individual fishermen. Andrew, Peter, Philip, Nathaniel, individual men. This great God has sent His Son to seek out individual sheep including you and me. Individual sheep. The creator of heaven and earth. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Plural. But he came for each one of us. He found each one of us. Philip didn't find him. He found Philip. He found you and me. Or we'd still be lost. And loving it so. So we have day four of Christianity. You know, if you look at these days, you can see different things about them. I encourage you to circle verse 19, verse 29, verse 35, and verse 43. If you don't have paragraph marks in your Bible, I don't believe the paragraph marks are inspired because in some chapters, they're ridiculous where they place them. But if you want to see the five parts of chapter 1, for the purpose of remembering it and making it simple and digestible as was just prayed, I'm trying to help you do that. We're we're at day four 
today. But we could look at these four days. The first day, John the Baptist says, I am not the Christ. The second day, John the Baptist says, this is the Christ. The third day, Andrew tells Peter, we have found the Christ. The fourth day, Jesus tells Nathaniel, I am the Christ. It's just a, it's a beautiful progression. John the Baptist, first of all, identifies someone standing among them. Then he identifies someone standing in front of him. And then the apostles recognize that. They're not apostles yet, but they shall be. They recognize that. And then Jesus declares, Oh, Nathaniel, you're going to see a whole lot more than me seeing you under the fig tree while you were sitting there. So let's come to this 43rd verse. The day following. The day following what? The third day, verse 35, which was called the next day after, which follows verse 29, called the next day, which follows verse 19, and this is the record of John. There isn't another religion like this in the world. Day by day, day one, day two, day three, day four, here are the players, here is what they said, here is the result. Do you think the Indians have some written down record of when they think they met the great spirit who told them to worship the buffalo and to smoke themselves all winter with buffalo chips? That's no different than Islam. Buddha. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If we're going to be Bible Christians, we look into the Bible and we find that God has given us a written record. And this written record, we are told by John very carefully why he wrote it. That we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing we might have life through His name. That we might assure ourselves of eternal life and lay hold of eternal life by reading this minute account of the beginning of Christianity through Jesus Christ our Lord. These things are written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe in the name of the Son of God. Nathaniel's going to declare him, Thou art the Son of God. We have this record given to us of eyewitness accounts of His miracle performing power, even though the Holy Spirit isn't even going to call that a miracle. Because what's the first miracle of Jesus in the estimation of the Holy Spirit? Turning the water into wine in chapter 2, which is coming. You know, this is the 14th sermon on chapter 1. Chapter 2, we, we will not need 14 sermons. We can do the chapter in a couple of sermons, very possibly. Maybe three. But here we are, day 4, verse 43. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee. Jesus was from Galilee. We don't have easy-to-use projector system right now, but someday we might. Hint. Someday we might. And I would show you a map just for you to see the Jordan River running north and south from the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea, with Jerusalem being a little ways off the Jordan River down toward the Dead Sea. Jesus is from Galilee. He was raised in Nazareth. Other towns in the area were Capernaum. You're familiar with some of these towns. Cana of Galilee 
where we're going to be in chapter 2 for the wedding feast. Chorazin, Magdala, Bethsaida, all these are towns around the Sea of Galilee. Jesus was a Galilean, and his apostles were mostly Galileans because they were from that part of the country. There's a wonderful prophecy made, look at Isaiah chapter 9, about God visiting that backwoods, redneck part of Israel. I mean, it was recognized whenever you opened your mouth if you were from Galilee, and you were despised by those who were from Jerusalem. It's like what New Yorkers think of you Carolinians. That's me too. Now, right, Charlie? We've joined them. Isaiah 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, I'd love to give you the context of these words, but there isn't time. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, in Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Verse 6, you know, don't you? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, And it describes and gives some of the names of the Lord Jesus Christ and tells us in verse 7 that of the increase of His government and kingdom there would be no end, but He would sit upon the throne of David forever and the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. If you go to Mark Matthew chapter 4, you will find that passage of Isaiah quoted that Jesus coming into the region around Galilee fulfilled that prophecy by being the light that shined in darkness. And He's shined in our dark lives. You don't have to trace our families back very far to find darkness, do you? Some of you were pulled out of families still in darkness. All glory to God. He's shined in our lives. The great shepherd came after us and found His sheep. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee. But before He did that, it says He would go forth. It didn't say He did go forth. There were people from the area of Galilee up to 70 miles away from home there by the Jordan River being baptized by John the Baptist. Somebody stirred them up to want to be there and be baptized. And it's the Lord of heaven. It's the Lord Jesus Christ unseen that was at work in their hearts. And so we have here the Lord finds Philip. Now, Who directed Andrew to the Lord Jesus Christ? Who led Andrew to Jesus? We can say those words. John the Baptist did. Who led Simon Peter to the Lord? Andrew did. Now who leads Philip to the Lord? Jesus did. Jesus went and got him. And it shows the combination of methods that God may use. God may use a preacher. God may use a friend. Or God may use the Lord Jesus Christ opening the heart of Lydia Himself. Or going and finding Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to Jesus, but Jesus took care of him. Jesus sent Philip to go find the eunuch. All different methods. But there's men involved. 
until Jesus came and got Philip. But then how did Nathanael hear about Jesus? Philip went and got him. More on that in just a moment, as you can suspect. Verse 43, the day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee. He would go back home where he had been raised. But he found Philip there near the Jordan River and saith unto him, follow me. This is not his formal announcement to be an apostle. That is going to come when they're in Galilee, when he calls 12 to be his specially chosen men. But the call's been issued to you as well. And as his ambassador today, he says to you, follow me. Who are you going to follow? The lifestyles of the rich and famous? Your teachers at Greenville Tech? LeBron James? Donald Trump? Who are we going to follow? Your heart? Let's follow the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, follow me. And then he sent apostles into the world, and we are supposed to follow them, especially our brother Paul, as Paul followed Jesus. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians 11, we want to be Pauline Christians, meaning that we follow Jesus Christ as Paul did. For instance, and there's a document on our website entitled, Jesus or Paul. We are Christians, meaning we follow Jesus Christ, but we follow Him the way Paul told us. We don't follow Jesus the way Jesus lived, because Jesus lived under the law of Moses. Jesus was circumcised the eighth day. The Apostle Paul wouldn't even circumcise his minister Titus in Galatians chapter 2, because it is unnecessary and a Jewish relic when it is viewed religiously. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. And there are numerous verses like that in the New Testament where Paul tells churches to follow him like he followed Christ. Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 23 that his audience ought to submit and obey the Pharisees. When was the last time you googled the nearest Pharisee center so that you could go find some Pharisees to follow? We follow Paul. He was a Pharisee converted. He was, and his father was a Pharisee, but he followed Christ. John 1.43, follow me. The Lord Jesus says to you today, by my voice and these words, follow me. Don't follow anyone else. Don't even follow your pastor when he goes against Jesus Christ. Search the scriptures daily to see if the things that are taught out of this pulpit are according to the word of God. Follow Christ. There's going to be every effort made to pull you away from the straight and narrow way of the Lord Jesus Christ. The whole world and the multitude that goes in the broad way that leads to destruction will seek to pull you down and pull you away and pull you out of the road of righteousness and the highway of holiness. Follow me. Follow me. You have followed all sorts of idiots in this life. And so have I. We've read them. We've heard them. We've watched them. Whether it's on television or live. We have followed idiots. The cool kids at school. Follow me. 
verse 44. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Praise God for the Lord saving some out of the city that meant house of fish or house of nets because it was a seashore town of fishermen. Andrew and Peter lived there and so did Philip. Jesus would later condemn it for its great sins, but he saved his elect out of that city. Woe unto you, Bethsaida! Because if the works that had been done in you had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. They were wicked. Like Capernaum, like Chorazin, the cities of Galilee, the Lord Jesus Christ rips them for not believing. Are you a believer today that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of God and will you follow Him? Verse 45, Philip findeth Nathanael. This is the way it should work. Jesus found Philip in verse 43. Philip found Nathanael in verse 45. Philip findeth Nathanael. The friendship here or the family relationship between these two is not disclosed to us in the Bible. It's not important. Notice the desire for others. Instead of verse 45 reading, Philip thanks the Lord and blesses and praises Him and falls down at His feet and says, Thank you for finding me. I will follow you. That wasn't good enough. That is not the real effect of God's grace in our lives. It is to go for others as well. And we've got to learn that from this passage. There is a tendency in consistent preaching of election and predestination, there has been a tendency in the churches of Jesus Christ for them to run into fatalism. We can never let that happen to us. We know that God has the book of life written with the names from the foundation of the world, yet we should be moved like Paul was to find those elect souls and show them the way of God more perfectly. We should know among our acquaintances, among our family extended, who might have an interest in the kingdom of God. And we bide our time and we pursue them and we pray for them and we seek to save them like Philip sought to save Nathaniel, Not to save him from hell. Not to get his name written in the book of life. But to have him realize the great blessings of gospel salvation. Like Paul prayed for the elect Israelites in Romans 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness are going about to establish their own righteousness. But Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. That was a huge gift to give to a Jew to show them that Messiah had come and had finished the sacrificial system. But we have all sorts of isms and nations out there, meaning denominations around us 
And those poor people are so ignorant. And we want to save them. Apollos was a mighty man. Eloquent. Fervent in spirit. Learned in the scriptures. But he only knew up to John the Baptist. And so Aquila and Priscilla, two tent makers by trade, were able to take him home with them and show him the way of God more perfectly. And when they opened the door and let him go, you should read about it. In Acts chapter 18, the last five verses, and the first of chapter 19, he was a mighty man. He went into Corinth of Achaia, Greece, and mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, that Jesus was Christ. Where did that powerhouse of evangelism come from? A tent maker and his wife. Because they were attentive. Because they were knowledgeable. Because they were passionate. Because they were enthusiastic. Because they knew the truth and could defend it. They won the man. And he's great in the annals of the Acts of the Apostles. No wonder we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and the Corinthian church. Some would say, I am of Cephas. They're appealing to the name that Jesus gave to Simon. Cephas is Syriac for Peter in Greek. I am of Cephas. I am of Paul. There was a quarter of that church that was of Apollos. That's good ground to be among. When you're compared with Jesus, Paul, and Cephas. Where did he come from? Philip found Nathaniel. Aquila and Priscilla found Apollos and took him home. Oh Lord, Lord forgive us if we have neglected our duty of being like the righteous that are a tree of life and those that win souls are wise. Philip findeth Nathaniel. Why did it matter? Because he had some great news to share with Nathaniel. Consider some foolish and vain things that if they were to happen to you, you would call most everyone you know and tell them. You open your trunk at the gas station, you find 25000 in cash. My wife's going to get a text. I'm going to get an email or a phone call. Because you got 25000 in cash. 25000 FRNs is about as poor of a life as can be imagined. But that would move you. Now for those of you that are scoffing at 25,000 FRNs, if it was 50, you'd call me. 50 is just as bad as 25,000. Do you know how much of either one you're going to take with you when you leave this world? None of it. But you would want to share that news. How about a pill guaranteed to lose a pound a day? Would you be calling her? You'd be calling around. It'd be on Facebook. You'd be tweeting that baby all over the place. A diner, a diner, diner food, giving free food for a month. You'd want me to put it in an update to the whole church. Oh, yes, you would. Every single one of you. It's embarrassing. Diner food? I like diner food. The mayor coming to your house for supper. Would we hear about it? An investment idea for 10% guaranteed. 
10 lousy percent? A free flight anywhere for you and a friend. Oh, we'd hear about it. Amazing. You'd want to tell us this. This junk. This garbage. You'd want to tell us. Listen to this. Consider some fabulous facts about God and the gospel that you yawn about. If Jehovah is only half what he shows and says in the Bible, he trumps all else forever. If Jesus of Nazareth is Jehovah in the flesh and came to earth and is coming again to earth, it trumps all. If the Bible is half true in what it claims, living for anything else is insanity. The body of truth in a Bible trumps all human learning in all fields of study. To assure another person of eternal life and show him how to live this life is fabulous news to share. To share the joy of fellowship with Jesus by His Spirit should motivate you. Arminians don't get motivated. Remember, we've never met a consistent Arminian. Even though they think they are getting names in the book of life and saving souls from hell. But we should be highly motivated because we have truth that they don't have. And that's the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ for the assurance of their salvation and how they ought to live in this world. We have it all. But we yawn. Oh, give me that 25K in the trunk and I'll be full of joy. Isn't that a... Yes, you would. Shane... Orville, 25K. Lord, help us. Look at Philip. Follow me. Lord, hold, hold, just a moment. Off he goes. Because some men from the cities of Galilee have come down to be baptized by John the Baptist. They know something is going on by the calendar of God's prophetic word. And they have found the Messiah. So Philip finds Nathaniel. Paul was obsessed to save other men, as I've mentioned to you before. Who have you found to share the truth of the gospel of God and Jesus Christ with? Are you like Andrew or Philip here in this context with their immediate pursuit of others? Look at what we have in John chapter 1. A great apostle, the beloved apostle, starting out with, in the beginning was the word. He gets down to friend telling friend, I have found the King of glory. I have found the Son of David. I have found the King of kings. I have found the Lamb of God. I have found the Christ of Israel. I have found the second Adam. I have found the seed of Abraham. I have found the seed of Isaac and Jacob. I have found Emmanuel. Philip findeth Nathanael. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. He that winneth souls 
is wise. That's the word of God. You want to talk about multi-level marketing or network marketing as it's now called since multi-level marketing got a bad name so they gave it a new name so it can be the same thing with a new name and nobody will accuse it of the old name. Multi-level marketing and network marketing. You know, that's how you get rid of overpriced soap. You invite people over to your house and you tell them how they can become billionaires by selling overpriced soap. So they buy some of your overpriced soap and then they go home and have somebody over to their house and they tell them how they can become billionaires. It's multi-level marketing. You know, this is multi-level marketing of underpriced eternal life. And do you know how underpriced it is? I need a a four-letter word. Free! It's free! A billionaire? Oh, you're talking about a billion FRNs now. You know, a billion FRNs today don't get you what it used to get you. A billion, F, a billion FRNs. So if you had a billion, how many to take with you when you leave this world? None. But what do we get for free? Eternal life. New heavens and a new earth. Joint heirs with Christ. An inheritance that fadeth not away that's reserved in heaven for us. Is that news worth talking about? Nathaniel thought it was. Philip thought it was. Peter thought it was. Andrew thought it was. Oh Lord, help us. If the angels of heaven rejoice over one repenting soul, how excited do you get? One repenting soul, the angels rejoice. We should want to be involved in a soul like that. Jesus sent the Gadarene to tell his friends what great things God had done for him. Is that hard for you to do? The great things God has done. The Bible tells us that he began to publish at Decapolis all things that Jesus had done for him. He spread the word. It's one-on-one. Relatives, friends, acquaintances, colleagues. Not dogs and sh- not dogs and pigs. We don't cast our pearls before swine. Jesus told us not to in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 6. We depart away from fools. As soon as we perceive that a man's a fool, we don't talk to him anymore. We endure him when we have to be around him. But we're always looking. Is there any sign of seeking? Do they have a conscience? Do they have an awakened conscience? Do they ever bring up religious subjects? Do they seem to be a, to have the fear of God? We want to be there for them. Consider the woman of Samaria. Do you know what she did as soon as she realized she was talking to a man that had just said he's the Christ? She went into the city and drew the whole city out. Come and meet a man that told me everything I ever did. John 4, it's coming up soon. How about the thief on the cross? Did Jesus have time for one man on the cross? Oh yes he did. How about the eunuch? Did the Holy Spirit care about one bouncing, neutered, black, African male alone in a chariot in the middle of the desert? Yes. He sent Philip the evangelist after him. How about Ruth? Did Naomi effectively do the work of an evangelist? She was converted, convinced, and passionate about the God of Israel. Oh Lord, help us to be fishers of men. Is your life gracious? 
so that people want to be your friend and listen to what you have to say? Are you a light in the world? Are you skilled at converting? Do you know the truth? Are you passionate about the truth? These things are necessary to save souls. Matthew Eastland has a number of people in this church because of his efforts with Angela at Bob Jones University. Chris Carnell, do you know who's here because of you? Does that person know that he's here because of Chris? That's Adam Green. Who's here because of Adam Green? Sawyer? I made a mistake last Lord's Day. Will you forgive me? I told you to turn around and you would see the man by whom you are here. And it was Mr. Green. But it's not Mr. Green. It's Mr. Chris Carnell. So before the day's over, why don't you go shake his hand? I know that you're not a timid man. If you'll go shake Chris Carnell's hand and thank him for being here. Because it's by way of Chris Carnell, Adam Green, Colin Castleberry, Sawyer Castleberry. Thank you, Chris. Praise the Lord. Philip found Nathaniel. Lord, help us to do more of it. James, I commend you for those that have visited here because of you. Sarah and Esther, I commend you for Lydia Chafin and others. We had a brother here last Lord's Day from St. Louis. He's brought 40 souls from another state to this church. I want to thank Donna Hall for not finding Nathaniel, but for finding Jonathan Crosby when he was about 19 years old. We have found him. Look at the wording. We have found him. Now we have found it. We have found the truth. It's more than that. We don't want to just share the truth of election, predestination, and regeneration before faith. The devils believe that. The knowledge of that doctrine isn't going to do hardly anything for you. It's just one small component of the overall gospel of Jesus Christ. But the gospel is the good news and glad tidings about a man. It's about the man Christ Jesus. We have found Him. It's not that we have found fulfilled prophecy. We have found Him. The glorious news of the gospel is a person. A man. A Him. The Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, like all Jews. Nathaniel. Believed in God Jehovah, the one creator God already. But by progressive revelation and manifestation, Jesus, His Son, came in the fullness of time. And they needed to hear about the man, Christ Jesus. The gospel, thus real evangelism, must put Christ first. I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Do you know what kind of preaching the Apostle Paul could have done from city to city with slides showing the fulfillment of Daniel chapters 7 through 12. But he determined not to know anything except Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is found in those chapters. But he's centered on Christ on the cross. We have found him. Check out evangelism in the Bible. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached Christ. 
to those Jews. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. When Philip met the eunuch in the middle of the desert, he preached unto him, it says, he preached unto him, Jesus. When Philip the evangelist went into the city of Samaria and taught things concerning the kingdom of God and the things concerning Jesus Christ, many were converted. Cornelius, when he met Peter, Peter began immediately and told him about the Lord Jesus Christ. We have found him. Him is the Lord Jesus. Him is the center of our religion. Him is the object of our faith. Him is the person of our redemption. Him is the friend of our souls. He's the king of our kingdom. He's the leader of our nation. He's the shepherd of us sheep. He's everything. Who do you think is important in the world? Miley Cyrus? LeBron James? Donald Trump? You know, if you were going to bring, if you had them coming to visit with you in Greenville, we'd have all heard about it. I want you to come over and have supper with me. Because I've got Donald Trump at my house. Wow! What about the Lord? We have found Him. It's amazing. Aren't we pitiful? Remember, what's the greatest proof of total depravity? Look in a mirror. Bam. What's important to you, JRC? Bam. Lord, help us. We have found Him, of whom Moses in the law. And I've shown you that before. We don't appeal to any man. We need preparatory teaching to give to others if necessary, because we want to lead them in the Bible. Preparatory teaching to someone. Notice what, notice how Philip reasons with Nathaniel. In verse 45, we have found him of whom Moses in the law. There is a three-step approach that we should use that the Bible uses. First of all, to establish the existence of God. If a person doesn't believe in the existence of God, we don't care about them. Because they're so stupid, and beyond all recognition of the obvious, you can't teach them anything. That's the way it is in the Bible. Paul never wasted time with anyone that didn't believe in the existence of God. If he was on Mars Hill, he would look at all their temples and idols, and he would say to those philosophers of Greece, This altar that you have over here to the unknown God, I want to tell you about the unknown God. He's unknown to you, but I know Him. Let me tell you about Him. Because if you don't have that starting place, you don't have anything. A person is so unreasonable, according to the testimony of Scripture, because all men don't have faith. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul told the church at Thessalonica, Pray for me that we might be delivered from. Not that they would be delivered to Paul, but that we would be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For all men have not faith. Faith is the choice to believe the unseen. Because what you can see is ridiculously temporary. 
And so Paul said, deliver us from them. So for the first thing you want to do is see that a person has the fear of God and believes in the existence of God. Then you need to convince them of his revelation. And in America, most of those that fear God are already convinced of his revelation. But the Bible is God's word. It's a supernatural book with thousands of fulfilled prophecies in it and, so, and many other categories of proof showing that it is a supernatural book unlike any other. And then you can appeal to that to show Christ. That's the order. The fear and love of God, the trust of Scripture, and appealing to that. And then Christ. So look what Philip does. Nathaniel, we have found him, of whom Moses in the law, Genesis chapter 3, the seed of the woman, Genesis chapter 49, Shiloh, Genesis chapter 17 and 22, the seed of Abraham, right through the law, the prophet like unto me that God's going to raise up. And then he says, and the prophets. And you know, I've got a list of prophecies here that would take me this Sunday and next Sunday to go through, but I'm not going to do it. You know Isaiah 7, 14, a virgin shall bring forth a son and call his name Emmanuel. There's all these prophecies of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Psalm, the Messianic Psalms, Malachi, Micah, that he be born in Bethlehem, a little village of Ephratah, Judea. So look at the method. We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write. It's in writing, Nathaniel. We found him. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Those are two distinguishing features of a man with the name of Joshua to segregate and separate and distinguish him from others. Verse 46, Nathaniel said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? This is by not rightly dividing the word of truth. This is confusing the gospel. Because Philip pointed out the fact of Jesus' earthly existence. He was from Nazareth. And his legal or assumed father, presumed father, was Joseph. Now, there was a lot of prejudice against the area around Galilee. And Nathaniel knew that there was no prophecy in the Bible that said there would be a great prophet or the Messiah would come out of Nazareth. Holding your hand there, look at Matthew chapter 2 with me. Matthew chapter 2. Nathanael said to Philip, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? He knew the Bible. And he knew the uh, social prejudice in the nation about those poor uneducated, unlearned, ignorant fishermen up around the Sea of Galilee. Don't ever think that you're too low for Jesus to save and to use. Where did Jesus get his apostles from? The Sea of Galilee. When they opened their mouths in public, that guy never finished school. They didn't need to finish school. They had been with the Lord Jesus Christ. And they knew more than those learned elders of the Jews had forgotten, hadn't learned, hadn't found. Amazing. Thank you, Lord. Matthew chapter 2. This is about Joseph bringing Jesus back to Nazareth after fleeing to Egypt for a while because of Herod killing the little babies. Verse 23, And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. 
Now a Nazarene is not a Nazarite. And you'd be amazed at some of the Bibles that will put in their center column reference that Jesus was a Nazarite. No, Jesus wasn't a Nazarite. John the Baptist was like a Nazarite. Jesus was a Nazarene. A Nazarite is a man that takes upon him a special vow of separation found in Numbers chapter 6, not to eat grapes, not to eat raisins, not to drink wine, and not to touch a dead body and to let his hair grow. That wasn't Jesus. That was more like John. But Jesus was a Nazarene. All you had to do to be a Nazarene was be from Nazareth. But now why didn't... Why didn't Nathaniel know this? Why didn't he search the Scriptures and find he shall be called a Nazarene? It's not in the Scriptures. But it says that it might be fulfilled by the prophets. Spoken. Oh, yes. It was spoken by the prophets. But not everyone knew the oral tradition and the oral religion of the Jews. doesn't say that it was written, does it? You'll need this little help in more than one place in the New Testament. If you don't learn this right now, you're going to get in trouble someday if you're talking to others. We read every word of God, don't we? Is every word of God important? It does not say it was written. It says it was spoken. You say, well, how was, did, did Matthew hear them say it? He didn't need to. He had the Holy Spirit telling him that those prophets, plural, had said it. Jesus, the Christ of God, would be a Nazarene. Let's, go, let's get back to John 1. John 1. Jews thought Jesus came from Bethlehem, not Nazareth. Were they right? Here's my question to you. Did Jesus come from Bethlehem or Nazareth? Yes. Born in Bethlehem. Raised in Nazareth. He came from both. And so they were confused. They knew that Shiloh was from Judah. They knew that the Sea of Galilee was not in Judah. So there was confusion because they didn't rightly divide the word of truth. Just because he was born in Bethlehem didn't mean he had to grow up there. And there was an oral lesson taught by the prophets, plural, that the Christ would be a Nazarene. Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip wasn't going to argue with him any further. Philip said, come and see. He wasn't going to quibble of Jewish confusion. He had heard John the Baptist, and that was good enough for Philip. Honest and sincere men here before judging. Let's remember that. You know, it takes a little knowledge to believe a thing, more to teach it, much more to defend it. Philip realized he had reached the end of what he wanted to do with Nathaniel. He just said, come and see. If or when you do not know an answer, go to the source for one. The Bible says the heart of the righteous studieth to answer. If someone asks you a question sometime and you don't know, say, you know what, I don't know the answer right now, but let me go find the answer and I'll bring it to you as soon as I find it. That's scriptural. It's Proverbs 15, 28. The heart of the righteous studieth to answer, but the mouth of the foolish poureth out wicked things. Just blab out some answer. No, say, I'm not sure about that. Let me go get an answer and I'll be back to you and do it as fast as you can. And the Bible also says if you need help, go get a guide because the eunuch said, how can I possibly understand this passage without some man to guide me? Text me, call me, tweet me. Or through my wife and I'll get you an answer by God's grace. So come and see. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him 
and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed. Rather than rebuke Nathaniel. Do you know what Nathaniel had just said? Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Would any of you have been tempted to say, Is this good enough for you, bud? Jesus didn't do anything like that. Jesus commended him. Instead of condemning him for his ignorant statement, Jesus commended him for his character. And you know, the ones that we're talking about should have character that you can commend, or really, why are you talking to them? Because if God hasn't made a change in their life or a difference in their life, why are you throwing your pearls toward them? There should be some sort of change. You should be able to find something positive to commend them for. I found this very interesting. There would have been a temptation with the Lord of glory to say nothing good can come out of Nazareth. Is that right, Nathaniel? But instead he said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. An Israelite indeed. There's more than one Israel in the Bible. Romans 9, 6 says, They are not all Israel, which are of Israel. No matter how you cut and divide that verse, it means that out of the large nation of Israel, there's only some that God considers true Israelites. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter. Whose praise is not of men, but of God. And so Jesus identifies him as already being one of God's elect, an Israelite indeed, and then describes his character that there's no guile in him. Totally different from the Pharisees that had come to be baptized by John the Baptist. John the Baptist had exposed their hypocrisy. As soon as he saw them coming to his baptism, he said, Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You generation of serpents. The grace of God should move us to get rid of all guile, to truly grow in grace. And I preach this to you in 1 Peter chapter 2, because to learn the Word of God, you have to lay aside all malice and all guile. Guile is cunning, deceit, treachery. It's hypocrisy. It's having an agenda. It's having evil thoughts that you don't give lip to. You're hiding among us with a wicked heart. You're full of guile. You're a deceiver. You're a liar. You're a hypocrite. You're a two-faced snake. Nathaniel wasn't any of those things. We don't want to be any of those things. There's 144,000 sealed by the Lamb. that are told, We're told about them in Revelation chapters 7 and 14. They are without guile before the Lamb of God. They are a representation of the early church made up primarily of Jews because 12,000 were sealed from each tribe. And they are virgins. They do not know women. That is all to be spiritually understood. They were free from spiritual fornication and whoredom. And that's what we want our church to be, like the 144,000. They are not Jehovah's Witnesses preaching around the earth and getting to inherit heaven. That's all that make it to the Jehovah's Witnesses is 144,000. But after the 144,000 are described as a symbolic 12 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, then it describes a multitude that no man can number out of every nation. Because the everlasting gospel had been preached to them. It's just like the the, the 24 elders around the throne of God representing both churches 
Old Testament, New Testament, Jews, Gentiles coming together. In whom is no guile, Lord, take away any guile that we have. Verse 48, Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? How do you know me? How can you say something so lofty about me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, I saw thee under the fig tree. When thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. When did I know thee? Before Philip called thee. I saw you. You were under a fig tree, sitting in your yard. Who knows? He could have been meditating. He could have been praying. He could have been calling upon God. He wasn't working. But that's where Philip found him. What an answer. I already knew thee very well. Do you know what the the prophet Isaiah says about Cyrus? That God called him by name, and I have named you, even though thou hadst not known me. God named Cyrus 150 years before he was born, the great Persian king. Named Cyrus, God chose him to be his shepherd. We'll get to that today if we have time. The Lord willing. Jesus could have gone much further and told Nathaniel that he had eternal knowledge of him. That his name was written in the Lamb's book of life. But he just said, before Philip got to you, I saw you under the fig tree. He identified something in his surroundings in order to show that he he knew what he was saying. You know, when you go to a psychic or one of these nutcases out there, or you read a fortune cookie, you know, all they do is guess or use generalities to deceive the simple. But Jesus said, before Philip got to you, you were sitting under a fig tree, and I saw you while you were sitting under a fig tree. Nathaniel knew that that was particular enough about his case that day that he said this. Verse 49, Nathaniel answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, Rabbi means master, great teacher. He addresses him with a title of respect used by the Jews. Jesus deserved the title. He was a master of the law. As I mentioned to you last Lord's Day, this is the only gospel that uses the word rabbi. The only other two times it occurs in the Bible is when Jesus is correcting its use by Christians in Matthew, that we shouldn't call each other rabbi. Or master. Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. No man can say things like this without the Spirit of God. First right. Corinthians twelve three tells us that no man can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Ghost. This man is born again, he's being led by the Holy Spirit, He's having things revealed to him like they were revealed to Peter in Matthew chapter 16 when Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Flesh and blood hath not revealed that to thee, Simon Barjona, but my Father in heaven. And the Father in heaven revealed to Nathanael by this small token of divine power that the one standing before him, the one Philip had found, the one Philip had said, Come and see! If anything good can come out of Nazareth, thou art the Son of God. All that prejudice, all that superstition and ignorance fled away with the knowledge of the truth that Jesus of Nazareth was indeed the Christ, the Son of God, yea, the King of Israel, fulfilling all the prophecies on both counts. Philip did his part, and God did his part. Are you ever going to do your part 
And sometimes God has no work to do except for the gospel to be a savour of death unto death. Yes, indeed. But let's make sure we do our part. Verse 50. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Jesus had used his divine omniscience to see Philip, I mean to see Nathaniel, excuse me, Nathaniel under the fig tree, but the water to wine in the next chapter will be his first public miracle of a demonstrable sort that men could view and see. Jesus commended Nathaniel for believing him for such a very small miracle. Jesus commends you and me for believing on him without being able to touch the marks of his crucifixion like Thomas expected and demanded. Thou shalt see greater things than these. Nathaniel certainly did see many miracles greater than Jesus' divine omniscience of him sitting under the fig tree. John's going to use hyperbole at the end of this gospel by saying, if all the things that Jesus taught and did were to be written in books, the world itself could not contain them. That's how many things in a hyperbolic statement that Nathaniel was going to see. He was going to see healings of all manner of diseases. Devils being cast out, storms being stopped, great calms resulting, multitudes being fed with a small lunch, the dead raised. Hear about a transfiguration from the three most trusted apostles and so forth. Believers should be encouraged at the greater things yet to come for their faith. It's not just being baptized. It's not just joining a church. It's the future things that are coming because we're going to see things greater than we read on these pages. When the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on all his enemies. The greater use you make of what he reveals to you, he'll reveal even more to you. Jesus revealed a little token to Nathanael. Before Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. When you obey the light that God gives you, he will give you more light and reveal greater things to you. And so the Savior said in verse 51, Verily, verily, Nathanael, he saith unto him, Verily, verily, this is the only book of the Bible that has this expression in it. Here's the first occurrence of Jesus Christ saying, Verily, verily, I say unto you. There's 25 of them in this gospel and nowhere else. John loves absolute truth. Verily means it is veritably the truth. Amen, it is certain, it is sure, it's in truth or verity. It's a matter of truth or fact, indeed, in fact, in reality, really, truly. It's placed in front of a sentence or statement as an emphatic asseveration of its truth or accuracy. Verily, verily, Nathaniel, I showed you a little bit of my divine power you believed. You've confessed me before men. Verily, verily, I say unto you, hereafter ye shall see heaven open. We don't have to understand that literally any more than we need to understand it literally in Malachi chapter 3 
when Malachi the prophet says that if you bring your tithes and offerings into my storehouse, I will open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you cannot receive. It's a symbolic expression that God's divine favor upon the Lord Jesus Christ would be very visible and it would be poured out upon Him. That the communication back and forth between earth and heaven through Jesus and His Father would be dramatic and would be visible. And He heard and He saw the blessings of God the Father upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Verily, verily, I say unto you, hereafter ye shall see heaven open. There may have been a case where Nathaniel saw heaven open. But what we're told in the Scriptures is of sufficient weight and value that it can be understood metaphorically of God smiling upon the Lord Jesus Christ directly in ways that had never been seen before. Just like opening the windows of heaven in other places in the Bible as comparisons. Jesus had angelic help before His conception and all the way to His ascension. Gabriel appeared to both his parents and Zacharias for two miracle conceptions. The birth of Jesus was announced to shepherds in a field to great fanfare. They strengthened Jesus after his temptation and in the garden of Gethsemane. A great chorus of angels welcomed the risen Lord to heaven in Revelation chapter 5. Involvement of angels is part of the confirming ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. The great mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh Justified in the Spirit, seen of angels. Angelic involvement with the Son of God. Though humiliated on earth, He was promoted far over them. When Jesus was born, God told the angels to worship Him. Wonderful. Notice that Jesus refers to Himself as the Son of Man in His humility to Nathanael. Nathanael just said, Thou art the Son of God. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Nathaniel, hereafter you're going to see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man, identifying His human nature, but not exclusively. Do not fall for the error of interpretation that Son of Man always is referring to His humanity and Son of God is always referring to His divinity because that is not true. The holy thing that was born of Mary. Are we talking about his divine nature or his human nature? His human nature shall be called the Son of God. In John chapter 3 and verse 13, Jesus is going to tell Nicodemus, the Son of Man that is sitting talking to you is in heaven. Present. In heaven. Though he uses the title Son of Man, he's referring to his divine nature. Because they are so wrapped up in each other, both titles apply. But the Son of Man reminds us that He is a God-man. Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And as we read the pages of the New Testament, some of the examples I just gave you of the angels being with Jesus during His temptation in the gar- in Gethsemane, two angels appeared in Acts chapter 1 when Jesus ascended up into the clouds. Two men stood by the apostles and said, What are you guys looking up into the clouds for? There were angels, angels, angels. We get to read it because it's in writing. We have a written revelation of these things that happened in the first century, and we should be very thankful. Do you know him? Philip said we have found him. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus of Nazareth, presumed to be the son of Joseph, 
is the Son of God and King of Israel. Do you love Him? Do you tell others of Him? Do you love to declare His true identity? The gospel is great news about Him. Are you following Him? He said, follow me. Then he saved Saul of Tarsus, changed his name to Paul, sent Paul to us Gentiles. And Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Are you following him? Are you following Jesus? Then repent. Reform. Confess your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive you your sins. Peter, Peter denied him. John Mark went AWOL. Demas forsook Paul. But where there's repentance, the great R factor, he takes us back. He made Peter great in his kingdom. He can make you great. Are you following him? If you're not following him, who are you following? If you say to me, I don't follow anyone, then you're following yourself. The worst person on the planet that you could pick. Lord, help us. We thank you for your precious word. We thank you for John chapter 1. Bless it to thy people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.